excited about all the stuff that's going on as we get closer to summer and, and all the things that are taking place and all the different ministries that are going. We're going to wrap up today our uh, series that we've been doing on Settled, and so it's carried us all the way till now, and as we've walked through, that we've settled the fact that Jesus lived. He was someone who actually lived on earth. And that's a settled fact. It doesn't matter if you go through history or what have you, it is settled. And so then also, just as graphically and just as uh, poignant is the fact that Jesus died. Roman history, all the different writings, all the different teachings, all the historians. There's no doubt that Jesus was someone who died. Then on Easter, we celebrated the third part of our being settled, of settling this subject is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then that settled certain things, and it settled some areas of our life. As we walk back through, Jesus living means Emmanuel. It means God with us. Then God came down to where we are and settled in with us, and God established himself on earth. And we used it like a timeline in Easter that that was the moment the kingdom of God entered into this world, the kingdom of God interacted once again. Until then, it was just the fact that God would send a prophet or send his word or do a miracle, but he couldn't remain there. He couldn't stay there. But when God sent his son, now he connected heaven and earth. Heaven and earth was once again connected just like it was in the time of Adam and Eve. Because remember Jesus, we talk about, as the later writings would talk about through the Apostle Paul and others, that there's one man, Adam, who brought sin into the world. There's one man, Christ, who conquered sin and removed sin from the world. So this is an understanding that we need to grasp because it's very important. Why? Because if the kingdom of God came and it established itself on earth, then it kept and it started a new timeline, and that timeline now has heaven and earth connected, and it goes all the way to the point of his death. Satan and, and the world and everybody thought that this would end the timeline, that this would end everything that had happened. Remember the story that Jesus told? He said, listen, there was a man who owned an enormous amount of land, but he lent it out to other people. It was his land, but he lent it out. And, and once in a while, he would send someone, and he said, finally, it was time for harvest. And so he sent some of his servants, and he said he'd send a servant to tell him, look, it's harvest time. You need to have respect for the owner, and you need to give the owner what belongs to him. And they killed the servants, or they beat the servants, or they would mock the servants. And he said, finally, the father and, and this great landowner said, well, I will send my son, and surely they will have respect for my son. He said, when I sent my son, what took place? They saw him coming, and when they saw him, they thought to themselves, we'll kill him, and if we kill him, then it'll all be ours. And, and, it, and he's the only son, and so therefore, it'll be ours. And Jesus said, listen to me, if you think that's the way it's going to go, you're badly mistaken. Because what do you think the father's going to think when he finally gets word, or the landowner gets word that you killed the, his only son? What do you think he's going to do when he shows up at your house? What do you think he's going to do when he finally comes back to get what's his? 
So Jesus dying, they thought, would end it, but instead, on the resurrection Sunday, it was the mindset that God said, I had a plan you didn't know about. I didn't just reconnect with earth, but the moment that Jesus died and on the third day was resurrected, when he says, I have keys of hell, death, and the grave, when he said, all power is given to me, what he was saying is, is that heaven just repurchased earth afresh and anew. Just like in the time of Adam, when God God owned it all and it was all in his possession. He said, through Christ, I repurchased it. So it doesn't matter from this moment on if you say, I believe in God or don't believe in God. It doesn't matter from this moment whether you say, I like God or don't like, or I believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus. God said, let me tell you how it's going to end. Every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter if your background is Muslim. It doesn't matter if your background is Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you wrap a turban around your head. It doesn't matter if you try to come up with some new religion or some new way. Let me just go ahead and tell you that heaven and earth now are running parallel and earth now is connected to the heaven that is owning it. And one day God's going to say it's through and finished and I'm going to go ahead and settle up the score. That's what we've learned so far. So since heaven and earth is running parallel, then our fourth thing that is settled is the fact that we are on earth, living on earth, but we are not part of earth. Science is constantly looking for aliens, and all they have to do is put a picture of me up. Because I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I like the way one person describes it in, in, in Tony Evans, when we study discipleship, he does a beautiful illustration of describing it as a ball field. He says, there's all these players on the ball field. And he says, yet there's one group that is simply the umpires or the referees. And he says, they're on the field, but their job is just to regulate the rules that comes from the head. If it's an NFL game, he said, those referees represent all of the NFL. They represent the field. They own the field. They own the flags. They own everything. The players may be on the field for the moment, but they have the power to tell one of those players, you can exit now. You, you, you're not going to play anymore today. You can't tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, I threw a flag. You, you stepped out of bounds. And you know what? According to the power that's been given to me by the authority that owns this field and owns everything, I'm telling you, your playing days are over. And what happened is, in a mindset, if you can see it that way, is that we're in this world now. We are walking through this world, decreeing and settling the disputes of this world by the authority that's been given to us by God. It doesn't mean the world likes it. It just means it is what it is. And it will continue to be the way it is until God says, that's the end of the game. Now, let me show it to you in some scripture and and help you in this way. In Revelations 12, verses 7 through 11, go there with me. Revelations 12, verses 7 through 11, here's the way it it is read here to kind of give you this same understanding. So it's settled. Number four, it is settled that not only God came, died, rose, but it is settled that We are the kingdom of God on earth. 
We are the kingdom of God on this earth. Now, you can act any way you want to, but if you want to act correctly, you will learn to act like who you are supposed to be. Walk like who you're supposed to be. Talk like who you're supposed to be. Carry yourself like you're supposed to be. You are an ambassador to King. You are an ambassador to this world from the kingdom of heaven. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. You are a chosen people. You have been called to good works. That's who you are. For the days that you live on this earth, it's not about how long you live. It's not about the way you live. You may die of cancer one day. You may die in a car wreck one day. You, you, you're going to live in this world. And you're going to be touched by whatever happens in this world. And all of us have a 100% chance of leaving it. But it's how we act and how we represent the kingdom is the only thing that matters. So here's what Revelations, beginning at, at chapter 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was place, a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of, of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they came and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. Now see, you got to get this in your mind, that this is a future and a present situation. That right now in the heavens, in the kingdoms, there is war going on. From the time of Daniel, we know about it because Daniel prays for something. And when Daniel says, an angel was sent to me, but he was held up by other angels that kept the answer getting. Listen to me. If we could open our eyes and see this morning, you would see enormous warfare that's going on in the heavens all the time. If you could, if you could see in the spiritual... There's enormous battles that are taking place all the time. As we are here praying, seeking, asking, in heaven there are answers being given, but there is a fight that is taking place in the spiritual realm to prevent, to hinder, to stop, to accuse you, to try to discourage you, anything that it can do to keep heaven from getting to earth. Even though it's connected now, the enemy still is fighting consistently as an accuser, consistently as a discourage, consistently as one who hinders. And so we look at this and he says, listen, when it's said and done, there will be these two things that people will look at, or three, that will determine whether or not you were who you were supposed to be. Let's look at them. And they overcame him by number one, what? The blood of the lamb. That's all the other legs that we already have. See, everything else has to be established in our life. That Jesus lived. That Jesus died. That Jesus was buried. That Jesus... That half has to be established. 
that through the blood of Jesus Christ, everything that needed to be atoned for was atoned for. Now, you can spend the rest of your life mad at what you did in your past, upset that you made mistakes or you sinned. You can be uh, totally beating yourself up and how bad a person you are, make yourself feel better for beating yourself down. Or you can understand that God said, I already paid for all of that, and you need to get past that. And the people who are going to represent me are people who have to have a mindset that the blood took care of everything. So if I walk into a room tomorrow and I'm surrounded by other people who are, who are still living in sin and still, still, still living a life. Now, they're going to have a mindset when I walk in that room to say, well, you're just like us. And I've got the mindset of, no, I'm not. Well, you think you're better than us. No, don't think I'm better than you. But there is one understanding that I have that you haven't grasped yet. That Jesus Christ has already paid for all of my sins. That I'm not going to walk in here like, well, you know, guys, we all sin a little bit every day. We're just all sinners saved by grace. I, I gave that up a long time. I left that at the cross. Now, if you still want to carry that around and, and tote that around, you just go ahead and knock yourself out. But I've never seen an ambassador walk in that represented the United States in, in just some low blue jeans and some raggedy clothes. It's like, well, I didn't want to come in here and make y'all think I was somebody. I just wanted to walk in here and just be as humble as I... No! An ambassador walks in in his suit, and he walks in with his entourage. He walks in, and when they begin to sit down, he's got four people on one side and four people on the other, and he says, I am the ambassador of the United States to this country, and I've come to do business on behalf of the United States, and I've come not just to be mugly or just, just to be beat down, but I want you to know that when they picked me and when they chose me, I may have used to wear blue jeans. I may have used to dress this away. I may have thought I was nobody, but when they gave me that paper that said you have been picked and you have been chosen and you have the rights and I've given you the authority. Let me tell you something. It changed everything about my demeanor. It changed everything about who I was. And God says, when you get saved, when you accept the blood, the blood of the lamb, then all of a sudden it changes. Their sins are washed away. They overcome by the blood of the lamb. Listen, Go to Romans 5 and 9. Romans 5 and 9 for me. And I'll just show it to you in one scripture. Much more than having now been justified by his, we shall be saved from. Look at that person beside you and say, I ain't got to worry about God getting mad at me. I don't have to worry about God getting mad at me. The beauty of salvation through the blood is that the wrath of God now is gone off my life. Now, you still got to meet him. You still got to deal with him. So you can either meet him mad or not mad. Because let me explain this to you. When you meet God one day, it will not be the meeting of you have sinned. That's what we get all caught up in. That we think one day we're going to meet God and God's going to say, look, at you did this sin, you did this sin, you did this. That's, that's not it. You're going to meet God one day, and if the wrath of God is upon your life, it's going to be because, listen, did you not know that I sent my son? Did you not know that I let him die for you? And you're telling me, 
that I did all of that for you and you rejected my son? You're no better than those field owners who says, if we kill the son, then it'll all be ours. He says, you were wrong. It was never yours. You just didn't come to the understanding. And all the wrath that he once poured out on his son, you now say it was of no consequence. How much more then will that wrath be upon the person? Not because you stole bubblegum, but because you rejected the son. You said his blood was of no value. You said a man dying for you meant nothing to you. And that will be what you meet God with. That's what God will look at you and say, why? The second thing is the fact that the word of their testimony. Go back with me to Revelations. It says the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame this evil, this this enemy, the dragon, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Go with me to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews 4 and 12. Hebrews 4 and 12 gives it to us in this way. For the word of God is living and... When Jesus lived, when Jesus lived, he was called the word. John describes him as the word. We beheld him, all the glory of God, the word of God. But now when Jesus left, he left his word. He left the words that he said, the authority that he said, what I've told you to do, go do in my authority. Go heal, go, go, go preach, go do whatever it is I've called you to do. Make disciples, change this world. And here's why. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of a person's heart. This is the power that we have, the same power Jesus had. Jesus came with two things when he faced Satan. He came with the authority that was given to him by his father. That's what we have. The second thing is that he was given the word. He was the word, so therefore all that Jesus did was when Satan came, he quoted scripture at him. That's why we don't have to, somebody said, well, we're not like Jesus. Yeah, we are. That's why they call us Christians, little Christ. It's because we have the two same things that Jesus was given. Jesus told us very plainly, as my Father has sent me, I send. I'm giving you authority. Well, then, what am I, if I'm an ambassador, if I have authority, I walk in as an ambassador, what am I supposed to say? what I've told you to say. Don't change it. Don't diverse from it. If you want to have the happiest life, the best life, I didn't say a a perfect life where there's no fighting. Remember now in Revelations, we're talking about there is spiritual warfare going on every day. I have a fight every day of my life. I have struggles every day of my life. I have battles every day of my life. But here's the good news. I don't care if I can see it. I don't care if I can feel it. I don't care what it looks like at the moment. Here's the one guarantee that I'm going to go ahead and tell every one of you. I'm going to win. Y'all just just go ahead and settle that in your mind. I'm going to win. 
I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know what I have to go through. I don't know what I have to tear down or tear up. I don't know what I have to pray through, fast through. I don't know what I have to speak through. I don't know what I have to keep walking through. I don't know what I have to stand and endure. But I know this much, when all the smoke's cleared, there's one thing that's always been true for 40-something years of my life and will be until the day they put me in the ground is that as long as I'm standing here in the power of God, in the authority of God, there's a 100% chance I will win the battle. Therefore, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I know that all things are working to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. See, if you don't have that mindset, it's because you don't have word in you. you got to know the word. Because his word says you're more than conquerors. That's what his word said. His word said no weapon ever formed against you will prosper. That's what his word said. What is your word? Okay, so the word of his testimony becomes the second part that allows us through truth. Here's, go with me to Hebrews 9, verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So through the blood, through your authority, you're overcomers. This is the third leg that I have to have. It's not enough to just celebrate that Jesus lived, put a picture of him in my house. It's not good enough just to to have a cross and I wear it on my necklace. It's not good enough to just celebrate Easter in an empty tomb. I have to come to the conclusion and the understanding that I am an ambassador And I represent heaven. That is my call in my life. That is the authority that has been given to me. Let me see if I can show it to you in an Old Testament uh, picture. Go with me to 1 Samuel, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read for just a little bit. This is one of my favorite stories to to explain what I just shared with you. And I'm going to share more in just a second. But let me take a break and show it to you in an Old Testament picture. Is that okay? The Old Testament is always a picture of the reality of the New Testament. Do you understand? So anytime that I I speak anything in the New Testament, I can always go back to the Old Testament and find a picture to describe it. Let me show it to you. The kingdom of God coming to earth. The kingdom of God moving on earth. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was represented by one thing. It was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, there was authority and power. That little box represented God's one little spot on earth where he had authority. And and in fact, we find that in David's time, whatever house that box got moved into, what happened? Did they ask for blessings? Did did they they start uh, coming up with some new way of doing it? No. The moment the kingdom of God entered into the house, blessings began to come. In fact, David's main goal, his his desire of his life was to get the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David, back to Jerusalem, because he knew that if I ever get the Ark back here to our city, man, blessings will flow. We will be unstoppable and unbeatable. But now what if the kingdom, what if you put that box in a bad place? What if you had a bad place 
let's just say New York City or Forest, Mississippi. What if you put that box in a place that wasn't a good place? It wasn't a, a, a perfect place. It wasn't even people that even believed in God. I mean, what if you took that box and stuck it somewhere where it didn't belong? Well, let's, let's see, because that's what the kingdom did. The kingdom came and invaded earth. But in the Old Testament, it's shown like this. Listen, when the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it, it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, then the Philistines, when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by what they said was, and this is, this is what we tried to do for the last 40 years. See, at first, the, America was built on Christian values, Christian understanding. We learned to read by our Bibles. That was the way we were built. But somewhere along the line, the next set, section was the world, the, the world that we lived in, the, the, the mindset was, let's connect God to our world. Let's just connect God. In fact, prayer in school. That's just simply connecting God to our world. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray before ball games or have all of those times. Don't get me wrong. That's wonderful things to do. But what we were trying to do was we're trying to connect God to our lifestyle and our world and our everything. So most of the things we do, even praying over our food, we can be sitting there cussing like sailors, telling dirty jokes and everything, and then we sit down and somebody says, who's going to pray? What are we doing? We're trying to connect Dagon to God. And over the last several years, what have we finally reached the point of? The world has said, we don't want to hear nothing more about God. We want God out of prayer. We don't want no prayer in school no more. We don't want Jesus' name mentioned anymore. We, we, we don't want you praying at ball games anymore. We don't want you doing anything like that anymore. Why? Because let me tell you what's always going to happen the moment you introduce Jesus and the moment you introduce his kingdom into your world or into your life or into your lifestyle. Let me tell you what's fixed to happen. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. In other words, this giant statue, and it's the statue of a, of a dragon mindset. He has a fish tail, and he has arms, and he, has, he, is, the, he is the god of, of the ocean. He's the god. In fact, when we talk about Baal, Dagon is considered in mythology the father of Baal. So this is the God of gods. This is the almighty God. This is the great God. And when they got up the next morning, this big concrete statue that was enormously high, nearly 40 feet high, this enormous statue is fallen, fallen face down and bowed now before God. Oh, I love it. Because the world said, we're going to put the two side by side and we'll use both of them and get blessings off both of them, the God of Israel and our God. And between the two of them, man, we're going to be something else. But when they woke up the next morning, Dagon was face down and he was already bowed before the true God. The moment you introduce God into the room, the moment you introduce God into your house, the moment you introduce God into your life, the moment you introduce God and bring the kingdom in, let me tell you something, I don't need you to quit anything. 
I don't need you to stop anything. I don't need you to say I'm going to quit smoking or drinking or cussing. Or, I don't need any of that. I just need you to get real good and serious about adding God to your life. And when you start praying daily and you start reading your Bible daily and when you start coming to church weekly and you start getting committed, let me tell you what will happen. Dagon will bow. Dagon will come loose. Dagon will let go. Dagon will say, I can't stand in the presence of the Almighty. I can't stay his kingdom and my kingdom cannot run together. Oh, man. Listen. And when the people rose, verse 4. And when they rose early the next morning, they set him back up. When they rose early the next morning, there was Dagon. I love that. There was Dagon. Falling on his face to the ground before the ark of God. But listen, God said, listen now, y'all put him back up. That wasn't smart. Because the next day when they got up and checked on him, Dagon, the head of Dagon, and both his hands were broken off. He said, you ain't standing him up in front of me. You keep trying to put him in front of me, I'll remove his head. And I'll remove any authority, his hands, which represented what he can do. I'll cut them off. You're not going to have any. Why? Because on this earth, listen to me, you have the authority now from the kingdom. You make and tell the earth this is the way it runs and this is the way it rules. When somebody talks about lifestyles and different things, it's not that I'm against your lifestyle. It's not that I care what lifestyle you live. I'm just here to tell you i got to throw a flag. Why? Because that lifestyle, according to God, won't work. And I'm just going to go ahead and save you a whole lot of pain. I'm going to save you a whole lot of trouble. I'm going to save you a whole lot of worry. You keep trying to set a Dagon up right beside God. But God said that Dagon's going to fall every time. It's not going to work. You can either get right and change, or you can keep fighting, and you'll find that your God will consistently keep bowing. That's our testimony. That's what we do in this world. And when they arose early, there was Dagon falling to the ground. The head of Dagon, both the palms of Dagon were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come in Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon as Ashdod to this day. And when the men, and when the men of Ashdod, verse 7, when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, <laughs> I like that, when they finally realized, well, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. Every time Pastor Lot walks into a room, this is how it's going to be. Every time, this is how it's going to be. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us. I've never run anybody off, never told anybody they got to leave, never been ugly to nobody, never stole their lawnmower. Some folks got, still got friends, come over to the house, steal stuff out of the house, Ain't brought your stuff back. They borrowed you two years ago. You still like them, and here I ain't done nothing to you. You don't like me. Why? Well, that's here's why. The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon, our God. That's the only time we're going to get in trouble. Is when you start telling God, I already have a God. I already have a way. 
I already have a system. I don't have to forgive them. I don't have to bow before you. The moment you do that, then you're going to have to do something with God. Because God, when he enters a room, will only be in one position. And that's God of all. Now, I know that that's, seems harsh, but that's just the way it is. The reason we don't have no authority in this world anymore is because we're preaching a totally different theology. We're preaching a put a Dagon right beside our God. And we keep wondering why our churches, our world, our cities don't work. It's because as long as we keep trying to prop up something that doesn't work, Besides something that always works. What always works will keep sticking out. And it will only make what doesn't work mad. It will only anger it. The ark of God must not remain with us. For his hand is harsh toward us. And Dagon our God. Now what's amazing to me is. Having seen this. You would think that they would have enough sense. To go ahead and take that piece of rock and go ahead and drag it on outside and say well that ain't real but it's amazing to me how human nature is I'd rather keep my lifestyle and get God out of my life I'd rather remove God in other words since I don't have to change let's just not go back to church anymore and I'll just keep what I'm always doing because why would I want to keep God and get rid of what I'm always doing That would be changing God's. Does that make sense? Got awful quiet. Maybe this is the point where it really starts to register what's taking place. The kingdom of God is on earth. It's reigning and ruling. The world has been saturated by it, and all it can decide now is either we've got to get it away from us, or we've got to believe it. And the closer we get to the end, listen to me, the more pressure it will be to either choose it or run it, get it out. Either choose it or get it out. And we know what the world is choosing. We know, we, and we know what they're doing. The question is, what are you going to do? Where are you going to fall in that battle? You're going to have to choose. Either he's just a God that we get on out of here because we already got all our other stuff we got to do. We already got all our other theologies. Or you raise him up and say, get rid of all the other gods. The kings of Israel, the only ones that were ever blessed, were the ones that the Bible would immediately say, and they removed all the other gods. Those kings were successful. The ones that it said, oh, and they built vineyards, and they built this for this god and that god, those were the kings that always failed. Listen, you can't be a representative of God and walk in a room and be a representative of the world at the same time. You've got to choose which one you represent. You've got to choose which one you're going to stand for. And when you choose, it will determine for itself. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines, and they said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. In this room today, this is the last leg. This is what you choose. 
You can't do anything about him being born. You can't do anything about he already died. You can't even do anything about the fact that he rose from the dead and he rules and reigns over everything. The only choice you get to make is whether or not you will be an ambassador for him, whether you'll be part of his kingdom, or whether you will meet him one day and answer for the fact that you're not. That's it. You can't change anything else. Dagon can't do anything about God. You either accept him or you say we need to get rid of him. You can't sit in this room and keep trying to balance between the two. Eventually, you'll have to choose one. You'll have to pick out which God is going to be your God. Go him in your Bibles one more place, and I'll try to sum this up. Go with me to first, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is him describing what I'm just sharing with you. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in, in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walk according to the he said, Paul is saying, listen, there's a lot of things that's being said. But I want you to know this, that when I come, I'm not coming in my authority. When I show up, I'm telling you, I'm not coming after the flesh. I'm coming under a different authority, and I don't want to have to be bold if I don't have to be. I'd rather walk in and just hug your necks, and I'd rather walk in and just tell you how much I love you and tell you, oh, we all on the same team and we're pulling for the same kingdom but let me be very clear if I need to I will walk in boldly and I will represent the kingdom of heaven and I will make whatever changes need to be made for though we walk in the flesh here's a scripture that just gets pulled out because if you don't read those first two you don't understand Paul's mindset we just yanked this one out of context. Here's what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Anybody heard that one? But you never hear it connected to the first two, do you? No. Because the first two is Paul saying, listen to me. If I got to be ugly, I'm going to be ugly. But let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to represent the kingdom of God. Because my battle is not against you. My battle's not against you. It may look like it. It may hurt your feelings. But listen to me. I love you. But I will not allow the flesh to have reign over the kingdom. We do not war, walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing. Remember Dagon? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is the understanding. Let me give you a, a few things that we need to understand about these scriptures, and I'll let you go. Our first weapon, as we know already, I want to share with you about five, four or five weapons. Number one is the blood itself, the blood of Christ. That's, that is the number one weapon that you possess. 
The blood is what gives us our access. The blood is what paid the price. The blood is what done that. We've covered that. The second thing is simply this. The second weapon is the Holy Spirit and His power. Why do I need the blood? Why do I need all of this attached to me? Why is it so important, Brother Lot, that that takes place? Is because the whole purpose of washing you and cleaning you is it so you become a walking temple, a living temple of God. And if you are a walking, living temple of God, what made the Ark of the Covenant so powerful? Because it was a pretty box? No. Because of the power that resided with it. What makes you powerful is, is the fact that you have been christened, ordained by God. And the fact that now the power of God can work through you and the power of God can manifest in you. So the second thing, and oh, I wish I had time to talk about that. Remember the guy that gets killed because he touches the ark? What does the Bible later say? Touch not God's anointed. Do you understand? If I, if I could connect all these scriptures, man, if I had hours today, we could connect scriptures and I could show you that you are the walking, living temple of God. That's why wherever you walk into a room, you just brought God's temple. You just brought the Ark of the Covenant. You just brought the power of God, the authority of God into that room. That doesn't mean we walk in like, I'm somebody. But it means I walk in knowing who I am. I walk in with dignity. I walk in with honor. I walk in understanding who I represent. I understand the power that's behind me. Jesus said, do you understand what power you got? Go heal the sick. Go raise dead. Go, go. If, if you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. If anything bites you, it won't kill you. Don't you worry. Do you realize what power you possess? Walk like you have power. Let me tell you, it's almost a 100% chance. 100% chance. Every time you ever get in trouble, every time you ever made a bad decision, it was because you thought that at the moment you didn't have the correct power that you needed. Let me give it to you in this illustration. If, if you're a young person, and, and all you want is to meet Mr. Wright or Miss Wright, and you just want to get married one day, and, oh, I want somebody to love me and all this. If you understand who you are and the power that you possess, then you will walk understanding that God will bring that to you at the moment that it's needed in your life, and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go chasing after it. You don't have to go Facebooking for it. You don't have to go Instagramming. You don't have to send no nude, nude photos of yourself or whatever else. You ain't got to do anything to try to win any impressives in this world. You already know who you are, and the kingdom of God will work on your behalf. You say, Brother Lot, let me tell you something. That's an old story. David was an unhappy man. And he saw Bathsheba. If he had known who he was, because when the prophet comes to him later, the prophet makes that very statement. He said, David, did you not know that if you would have just asked God for anything, he would have given it to you? If you wanted a good-looking woman, David, don't worry. God would have said, I'm going to fix to make a good-looking woman for David. Do you not know, David, who you were, the authority you had? All you had to do was ask. 
But yet instead, the bad decision you made is because you thought you didn't possess the power, so you went and tried to get it yourself. Every decision, every bad decision you'll ever make in your life is because you don't know and don't realize or don't accept the power that you already have. If you pray believing, what's the percentage of a chance that you're going to get it? 100%. Ask and you shall receive. Didn't say you might. Said you will. Scripture after Scripture says 100% chance. The only thing can mess that up is if you ask amiss. If you ask something out of some way that you see yourself that you think you need something, but it's really not a need. It's a want. But there's never been a need in your life that won't be answered. Number three, the third weapon that you have is the name of Jesus. That if you use the name of Jesus over your prayers, over your life, over your... He is the one in full authority, and by His authority you can ask whatever you will. In my name, ask whatever you will. Number four, the next weapon is love. Go to 1 John 4 and verse 8 and verse 12 with me. 1 John 4 and verse 8 first. Here's what it says. He who does not love does not... If you're in this room today and you say, I struggle with love, I struggle with loving my wife, loving my husband, I struggle with love, let me tell you something, it's because you don't know God. Brother, you can't tell me I don't know God. Well, then I'll just tell you the Bible told you. Make you feel better? I didn't tell you. The Bible told you. If you don't love, if you have struggled with love, if you can't let go and you can't forgive, it's because you don't know God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Go to verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And we understand how that works through the Holy Spirit. It means the temple is right, everything is good, and the power of God resides in us. If, and it was demonstrated by love. So when I have this kingdom authority, when I'm living in the kingdom, when I'm walking in the kingdom, representing the kingdom, I have the name of Jesus, I have the blood of Jesus, I have the authority of Jesus, and I radiate and act and always in love. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Number five, the third weapon, a fifth weapon that you have is righteousness. Go to Ephesians 4 and 1. Ephesians 4 and 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy, worthy of the calling which you were righteous. If, if everything I just told you, if you are an ambassador asking what you will, representing Christ, you're in the kingdom, the blood, if you have all of this, then for goodness sake, listen to me very good, for goodness sake, walk like who you are. Quit walking like who you're not. Quit talking like who you're not. Quit laughing at stuff that ain't funny to you. Quit trying to fit in. Be who you're supposed to be. Be who God calls you to be. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy, righteously in who you were called to be. 
Now, it doesn't mean you got to wear a three-piece suit every day. You're allowed to see me in a pair of shorts, and I'm working. I'm, do- I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about your very lifestyle, your very way you act, the way you treat people, how you go about your life. Walk worthy of the calling that God put on your life. You're part of His kingdom. You're representing His kingdom. Be who He called you to be. Number six. The sixth weapon is the prayer of faith. Prayer is not the weakest thing to do. Prayer is the most powerful thing. But it's number six on our list. It's, it's, go with me to James 5 and 16. James 5 and 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray one for another that you may be... Look at the person beside you and say, this life is a battle. This life is a battle. Let me tell you how me and Elise made it all these years. Fixed to celebrate 30 years. Let me tell you how we've made it at all seasons for 28 years. Let me, let me tell you. Confess your trespasses to... If you're part of this family, then be part of the family. Find brothers and sisters in here and say, look, I need you to hold me accountable because this life's tough and there's going to be some good days and bad days. And Just like the marriage that I'm in, just like raising kids, there's good days, there's bad days. There's a... But how do you survive all that? First, I look at Elise sometimes and say, look, I royally did, shouldn't have said that. I messed that up. I'm sorry. Confess. Hey, I did something. I need you to know. Hey, I need to change something. Confess. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for, just like I pray for you, I pray for Elise. She prays for me. We're texting people all the time and and, and as they're crossing our mind and we're telling them, hey, I'm praying for you. Or or they text us and say, hey, I just want to let you know, man, we're just praying for you. We just, yesterday we traveled over several different places trying to get to several different places and just just to show our faces just enough to so people would know, look, I, I've got you on my mind. I care about you. Pray for one another that you may be... Because if you're going to be an ambassador, you don't need to be a sick ambassador. You don't need to be a depressed ambassador. You don't need to be a messed up ambassador. I confess and I pray and I spend time with each other and I'm very... Why? Because this is a long journey and, I, and, and if you hang around me long enough, you know my, my strengths and my weaknesses. I had someone last week, because last week was, was Easter, and, and I was out there, man, I'm shaking hands, man, I'm, it's, it's great, it's good, and, and I'm, I'm sweating. My wife even walks up and touches me on the back and she's like, well, you're wringing wet. Well, duh, I'm an introvert. You know how much energy it takes for me to stand in front of 500 people and shake hands and hug necks and, and try to remember names, and I feel stressed out because everything I do, I feel like I'm doing it wrong, or I miss somebody's name, I messed it up, I, I, I ruined their whole life because I didn't do, shake their hand, or I did. I said, it stresses me out. So what do you do? 
Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be... The only way I can make it is just by being brutally honest and saying, hey, this is me. I ain't got all the, the tools you may think, or I ain't perfect like you may think. People who live those lives are very unhappy people. I got some strengths, and I got some things that make me sweat. But through the grace of God, I'm going to represent Him. I'm going to be the greatest ambassador I can. So that what? So healing doesn't come to you, so healing comes to me. This is what we do on this earth. So it's settled in my life. I don't know about your life, but my life is settled that Jesus lived that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the dead and His kingdom reigns. And it's settled in my life that I chose His kingdom and that I gave all of my life to His kingdom and that I'm part of His kingdom. And it isn't in my perfection. It isn't in my doing everything 100% right every single day of every second. It's the fact that I am going to do my very best every single day to represent Him the best I can not because I'm earning heaven. Heaven's already given to me through what He did. But I want to represent heaven because the way I represent heaven here brings people into the kingdom. And I want to populate heaven and I want to depopulate hell. I want all of my kids. I want all of my friends. I want every person I meet. I want them there in heaven with me. And that's worth my life. It's worth my effort. It's worth what I give and what I do each day. It's worth Bible studies. It's worth prayer time. It's worth all the things that I do, all the weapons that have been given to me to do what? To tear down the strongholds. Listen to me very carefully. Hell doesn't move anymore. Hell doesn't move. Hell is strongholds. There are places that set up and put gates and they, they tell you you're not strong enough and you're not mighty enough and you can't defeat us. But Paul said, listen to me. The gates of hell, as Jesus said, cannot prevail against you. Paul calls them strongholds. He says, for tearing down strongholds. You say, Brother Lot, I've got issues. I've got things in my life. Listen to me. Those are not what scare me. You worry about somebody finding out that you still do this on the side or you still got this issue. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that the God that is of God's is not standing by Dagon and you're not letting Dagon fall. You're trying to leave God out. Listen to me this morning. Put God right in the middle. Make God the center of it and just watch what happens. Just watch and see what gets pushed out of your life. Not because you tried to do it or you tried to make it happen. Just watch what happens naturally when you put God right in the middle. Watch what happens when you join a life group class and you just start showing up. Watch what happens when you start making the people in here your friends instead of those people that keep dragging you down. Watch and see what happens when you make God and, and the kingdom of God and being an ambassador to God the most important thing. Just watch the doors that open you couldn't open. And watch doors close that you couldn't in your own strength. It won't take a patch. You won't have to take a pill. Just the power of God.
working in your life. That for me settles it. Will you stand? I love stories, people's lives. And if I had time today, I would go through a litany, just a list of people who for the last 2,000 years have carried Christianity and just represented the kingdom and pushed it forward. There was a man by the name of Whitcliffe that translated in the 1400s the kind of like the first Bible that came out of other than Latin. And he was burned at the stake. And you would think, okay, hey, we're not doing that no more. But about a hundred years later, there's a guy by the name of William Tyndall. Some say Tinsdale, however you ever hear the Tinsdale Bible. Now, William Tyndall, he decided, no. People need to read it in their own language. They need to be able to read it in English language. They need to. And over about a 14-year period, he translated what we have now as the Tinsdale Bible. It will later go on to be the major part. Almost 80% of the King James Version is just basically the Tinsdale Bible just translated over very little was changed about his, his version. Well, what, what, I mean, what good is that, brother? That doesn't seem like that's a big part of the kingdom. Well, because Tinsdale did this, it started the Reformation. People that couldn't read the Bible started reading the Bible, and incredible men began to rise up, all because one man just representing the kingdom in his own way. Well, I mean, man, that's, that's an awesome story. Well, he's also burned at the stake. He dies, never getting to see all that he does. A short time later, King Henry, King James, will come along and write the King James version that we have. It will change the whole mindset of what the Christian movement will move for the next hundreds of years. And, and it seems strange to me that one man, just one man be an ambassador for the kingdom of God, can have such an impact on the world. You have no idea each day of your life, just you're living, people watching you, who you're going to touch. Whose life you're going to impact. I use this phrase all the time and it encourages me. Somebody was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. Somebody was the person who introduced them to the Lord. I don't need to be the biggest person in the room. But I'll be darned if I ain't going to be in the room. 
When I get to heaven one day, I may not be able to tell a story like Paul will, and I won't be able to tell it like somebody else will, but I'm going to have a story. It may be a shorter version than some people, but I'm going to have a story. And every one of us in this room as an ambassador is called to have a story, to call to represent, to live a life that represents, to live in love that represents, to speak and represent through the power of God. That flame that you see just burning, that's just a representation of for the last 2,000 years. The kingdom of God has been saturating this old world. And it will continue. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? That's the only question. Whether you will have a part of it. Because nothing else will matter. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, it's time. I don't need you to come to an altar today. I don't need you to cry or like I'm crying. I don't need you to... I just need you to make a decision. If all the other gods that you keep trying to prop up keep falling down and keep failing you, what, maybe it's time. If Bud Light ain't had the answer at the bottom of every bottle yet, and you ain't found it there, you have to go get another one, then maybe it's time to realize Dagon just ain't going to make it. Maybe the answer is not in the next 12-pack or the next hit or the next thing I smoke or the next thing I drink or I put it in my body, or I sleep with, or I maybe you just finally realize that God won't work. Maybe, just maybe, I was called to represent something bigger. I believe you were. I believe you were called to represent the kingdom of God and to make a mark on this world, on your family, on your friends. But that choice has to be yours. You can't choose whether you're going to meet God one day. You can't choose that you're going to bow one day. But you can choose whether you'll bow today. Whether you'll decide today to let God be God. With every head bowed, Father, if there's someone in this room right now that says it's time, I have, I have drugged this thing on way too long. I have... I have tried to prop up too many things in my life looking for an answer, and it only makes me angry. It only makes me upset. It doesn't bring what I've been looking for, and I realize that. God, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not releasing and, and just saying, oh, I'm through with him or her. Thank you that this morning that you're still calling me, but this morning is different. This morning, I choose to make you God. The only God. Christ as my Lord. And I choose today to represent your kingdom for as long as I live on this earth. No matter what fights, trials, circumstances I go through. No matter what sickness or troubles I have to endure. I promise you today the only covenant I'm making is that I will rise when I fall. I will continue to follow you and represent you until the day I die. Father, that's all I can bring to this table. It's your power, your glory, your name, your blood that's done the work. I just give you me. Use this temple. Use this temple to spread your word. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. Hey.
Go give that old devil fits.